about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast edition of the Steve Day Show powered by CRTV. Available here on iHeart, iTunes, and Stitcher. Todd and Aaron are here as well. We would love it if you'd let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And we just finished the television show, gentlemen. Your thoughts on what people have to look forward to later today at CRTV.com. You won't believe the biggest secret in modern American politics. Subtext. George Soros doesn't want you to know this. Hmm. What do you think? You like that? I always like it when Aaron like goes it? there. You yeah. like it? Yeah. It's good. It makes you happy, too. Yeah, I do. I do. That scratches uh, where, you, where you're at. I like the mocking clickbait. That's what I like. I like mocking clickbait with clickbait. I like it. I like it a lot. What about you, Todd? What'd you like? Billy Hallowell seems... Have you met him in person? Uh, no. He seems like the nicest human being on the face of the I earth. Know. And that's why, that's why when we're in the same setting, I stay away. I, I, my fear is I will pollute his aura. You know? I mean, he's just... You'll bring him down? Uh, yeah. There's, he's just... I mean it, too. He's just a, he's a good dude, man. Which is where I'm going with this. He's on and we're talking about how do we have a better conversation? How do we have any conversation at all? And Billy Hallowell is talking on social media how everybody's treating him like they treat you. This is so hard, folks. I mean, if a guy like Billy Hallowell can't earn your trust to have a decent conversation, where do we go from there? That's why I kind of stay away. <laughs> because H.L. Mencken once said, behind every cynic is a disappointed romantic. I want, I want things to be. I want them to be the way Billy Hallowell believes they are, or even could be. Because I don't think he's naive either. So let me rephrase that. I want things to evolve and become what Billy Hallowell believes that they could. I want to. I mean, I really do. I just don't. I don't. I I want to. And just as a society needs its contrarians, you know, we've talked a lot about that. And one of the reasons we talk a lot about that is because what are we... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so yes, I believe that a society needs its contrarians, but I'm also doing a little self-interested uh, uh, um, marketing at the same time. You need us, okay? But a society needs its contrarians. You know what it also needs? It needs its idealists. And just as you can tell a lot about a society and the health of it by its willingness to at least entertain and listen to its contrarians. You can also tell a lot about a society and a culture by whether or not 
it crushes its crushes its idealists whether idealism looks out of place whether it looks kind of you know Ward weren't you a little hard on the beef last night or does it inspire right like I've often wondered what would have happened if days after 9-11 George W. Bush had done with energy what John Kennedy did in the days after Sputnik and well Steve 9-11 is a lot different it really, for the people that were alive at that time, it wasn't that much different. I mean, they, they didn't carry 3,000 body bags out of the World Trade Center towers. That's, a, that's one big difference, no doubt. But in terms of the cultural climate, they actually lived in a constant fear something like that might happen, or worse. I mean, we were, I mean, there were red scares, kids are doing bomb drills. Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. They, they, they believed... Not that a terrorist attack was imminent like we do now. They believed in existential, you know, mutual assured destructive moment was was possible, was imminent. Um, and so when you find out that your mortal enemy now can rain down hell from above, essentially, at least that's your thought, they, when they take over the heavens... That's a pretty meaningful statement for Kennedy to come out in the aftermath of that and say, hey, by the end of this decade, we are going to win that battle and we're going to put a man on the moon. I've often wondered what would have happened, and I think I've even done shows on this in the past, what would have happened in the days after 9-11, George W. Bush, especially him being the Texas oil guy, if he would have come out and essentially gave the same speech JFK did and said, I don't know how we're going to do it. The technology to do it isn't there yet. But by the end of this decade... We are going to be able to, aside from defending Israel, we are going to economically divest ourselves from that part of the world because we're going to take care of our own energy needs. And we're not going to be held hostage to these people and these cultures anymore. Period. Get to work. And since it's a matter of national security, this is a place where we will come up with some sort of subsidies. We will come up with some sort of tax incentive program because this is a matter of national security now. We have funded and propped up how many of these regimes for decades because what are they rich in mineral of? Oil. We need the fuel. It's the number one, number one commodity in our economy. The two largest industries in, America, in, the, in America's economy are energy and education. Those are one and two. Maybe things would have been different. I don't know. But I think that was a moment where I, we could have responded to that level of, level of idealism. I don't believe we can respond to that level of idealism now. Doesn't mean we can't again, but I think it would take an existential moment, a revival, a galvanizing moment. I think, I think making idealistic sentiments and statements now, it, they, look like, they sound like talking points. It sounds like you lack self-awareness. I don't know, am I wrong about that? What do you think? Maybe I'm letting my own total depravity bias no. Color me jaundiced here. No, you're good. Self-awareness. <clears throat> this is odd. Fundamentally, why do you think... Why are you asking me that question? 
That's that's an odd Steve Dace question. Because I think it's always a good idea to question yourself lest you get high on your own supply. Lest you become the guy. See, there's a reason why you think your farts smell good and nobody else does. And then they think the same thing in wow. reverse. I wish I didn't just ask the question. I think you went with <laughs> fart analogies. I was probing. And then you followed up with probing. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I want to know how deep this pool goes and you just give me the shallowest pool possible. Got it. Wait, there are people who think their own farts smell good? <laughs> oh. oh. There is, Monday, we're going to do a podcast on the Reformation. Yes, and, and I have given Todd, as I've always given him, he has free reign to give us all the Catholic skepticisms. And my hope is we're going to have a conversation about, regardless of the side you're down on, there's no question, it's the most important event in human history in the last 500 years. There's no America without a Protestant Reformation. It's the most important it's the most important event in human history of the last 500 years. That's why History Channel, when they listed their top three people of the millennium, two and three were Gutenberg and Luther, right out of the Reformation, because of the impact that it had. And so my hope is, though, we, we will take this very important moment and have a conversation, even if it gets heated at times, very similar to the one we did yesterday with Noah Rothman about another very important and existential conversation. That's the rule of law and the, and the essence of law in our Constitution itself. And... One of the things I'm going to roll out on Monday are my top five favorite snotty Martin Luther quotes. And one of them, you can tell, inspired Monty Python's I fart in your general direction. All right. It's right from right from the pen of Martin Luther. All right. So that's a tease. You have to wait until Monday for it. All right. But um, I think that's probably because I was just thinking about that. You know, and I went to a uh, class on on Romans last night at our church, which um, um, got into some of the reformational topics about, you know, Romans one seventeen and the righteous and the just shall live by faith. That was the verse that Luther said sparked the Protestant Reformation, for example. And uh, I, I just think all these different quotes, and and Luther's quote using farting. Uh, in one of his snotty replies, I think that's probably why I went there. So that was a long-winded, long, long-winded just attempt to morally justify my lack of dignity. Which there. means this whole next week leading up to, I mean, we may actually, this could get rough on he next just gave Monday. Me, he, just, he just gave me a look and like, you know, that's why we have confession, right? That we don't, so that you don't have to give long disclaimers like this. Okay. <laughs> You, you emailed yesterday, we're saying next Monday we're going to do this. I'm cool. It turns out you're like dwelling on quotes, quotes now, <laughs> chanting mantras. I mean, this is going to turn it. There's going to be stonings at the end of Monday's show. I, I worry. Is my job on the line? Can I just, what are the parameters? It's going to get this? really awkward when, the, when, the, when in the middle of next Monday's podcast, Todd looks at me and says, here I stand. I can do no more. May God have mercy on my soul. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey, that's my line. Yes. Uh, anyway, you were saying that's why I asked because I, I, I'm 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 in constant fear now of believing my own poop doesn't stink because that's self awareness is dead in America today. 
And you know, I had a bunch of my kids in my worldview class asked me yesterday, how do we know if we're, if we're terrible hypocrites? I'm like, well, how do we know if we're being self-righteous? And I kept answering them. Pretty good rule of thumb is if you're willing to ask yourself, am I too self-righteous? You're probably not. Do you know who doesn't ask themselves, if I, am I too self-righteous? Self-righteous. The self-righteous. You know who doesn't ask themselves, am I a terrible person? You know who never asked themselves that? Terrible people don't ask themselves that, right? You know, so. Well, right. That's why I think it's fascinating because you, at your worst in your life, and you've talked about this on the radio, this was your fundamental problem. When you were living decadently, you thought this about yourself. Yeah, but I'm still, I'm, I'm right. still Dace. I'm pretty cool. Man. Right. I got my, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm tougher. Whatever it is. Right, right. But here you are, I mean, especially after 2016, and you talk about how you've reflected on that and what I've been working for. I just found the question. I mean, it, it's, you've, it's, you've asked and answered it, that question it's the preamble, over and over again. It's the summation of the preamble of the introduction to Luther's 95 Theses. All of the Christian life is a life of repentance. So I am, I am, I am trying to avoid becoming like that which I have spent a good deal of time the last couple of years critiquing, criticizing, pointing out. And I can't think of another way of doing that. Now, I don't... By the way, if you guys know me pretty well, I don't really enjoy this whole the meek shall inherit the earth thing. That's that's not my jam, guys. All right, that that is not my default setting here. So I have to I've got to kind of force myself to constantly ask these sorts of self deprecating questions as a way to check my own spirit. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. I don't think you even answered my original question, though. You just asked me why I asked it, right? Well, and, and that got me off on a tangent we, about farting yes. and the Reformation so and it, Luther yeah. quotes. and So you're asking st- And then you brought up stonings, and now question, here we are. Your question was, are, are you overdoing it, I think, yes. wasn't it? No, that was kinda, I think that was your question. I think you think I'm overdoing it. Do you think I'm overdoing it? Yeah. Okay. I think you answered Todd's own question. No, <laughs> you answered your own question to Todd, who asked another <laughs> We Remember when we got we done yesterday? Nothing. Sorry, America. When we got done yesterday, I'm like, guys, I don't know that we'll ever do <laughs> yeah. a better podcast than that. You're and today right. confirms it. You are right. <laughs> oh, let's get to America. Let's just stop. Collaborate and listen. <laughs> I was going to say that, and you beat me to the punch. <laughs> yes. Hey, we rebounded. We're back, baby. The millennial is quoting <laughs> Kumo D or whoever did that. All right. Uh, Americanism 101, we have two more episodes of this. And hey, if you want more of what you just heard, CRTV promo code DACE, I'm telling you, it won't be a better amount of money you've ever spent than the nonsensical ravings that we do every day on CRTV. But it's not just us. Mark Levin, the great one, Stephen Crowder, great team here at, at uh, CRTV. Promo code DACE, CRTV.com. We have monthly subscriptions as well and a free trial period. So if you try it during the free trial and you're like, hey, this isn't my bag, cool, cancel during that uh, time and you won't be charged a thing. So at the beginning of the year, based off of what we had just endured during the previous year, we made the decision that, hey, we got to do that whole Vince Lombardi thing. Men, this is a football when it comes and say, hey, f- ladies and gentlemen, this is America. This is what it is. And so we've been doing Americanism 101 each week here on the podcast. And it began by laying the foundation of America. What is it? What's the foundation it's built upon? And we talked about how the great uh, Catholic thinker, G.K. Chesterton, 
once made the historical observation that America was the only country ever founded upon a creed. Well, what is that creed? And we spent the first phase of this series laying that creed out. There is a God, our right, and it can be summed up in these three, these three sentences. There is a God, our rights come from him, and the primary purpose of government, therefore, is to protect and preserve those God-given rights. That's the foundation. That is it right there. That's the foundation of America. But a foundation requires a framework. Now that we've articulated and communicated who we are, we then need to lay out how will we carry forth what we say we are. Or in other words, as we like to put it on our show, how do we actually do what we believe? How do we do what we believe? And that framework we have used, Dr. Cleon Skousen's great book, The 5,000 Year Leap, which I would highly recommend, and we're almost to the end. And Dr. Skousen lays out 28 principles that really are the making of America. How we do this thing called, now that we know what America was founded on, here's how we do it now. Right? So, since we're in the, I'm in the business, I'm on this whole Reformation kick, all right? So, we started off laying down five, essentially laying down the five solas of, of the Reformation, the American version. Here's the creed of who we are. But then, there's this book that comes along in the New Testament that Luther hated so much he wanted it removed because he thought it was the most pro-Catholic book of the New Testament. James comes along and says, well, that's great you say you believe some stuff, but I don't really care what you claim to believe because I have to look at what you're actually doing to tell me what the proof of your belief really is. Because faith without works is dead. So how do we do it then? What's doing it look like? And that's where Cleon Skousen. Cleon Skousen is sort of the, the Americanism 101 version of the book of James. That's kind of what this is offered with these 28 principles. So we have the 28th and final principle this week. And then next week we will have a conclusion and that'll be the end of the series. The 28th and final principle I find troubling. And the reason I find it troubling is because if we don't have this one really tightened up, I mean, if we don't have this one clearly defined, then it's going to get us into a lot of areas that we have been in as a nation in recent years in our foreign policy that have nearly wrecked us. The 28th and final principle from Dr. Skousen is this. The United States has a manifest destiny to be an example and a blessing to the entire human race. The United States has a manifest destiny to be an example and a blessing to the entire human race. Before we get into how Dr. Skousen lays this out, gentlemen, let me ask you, what do each of you believe it means? Aaron, I'll start with you. The manifest destiny uh, that because of how our nation was founded, um, that because we uh, were were founded out of a Judeo-Christian worldview, the only thing that that should lead to is being a light for the rest of the world, a leader to the rest of the world. Todd? This is at the very least an informal extension of Matthew 28. That be that shining city on the hill for all to see. So the first things are, in fact, the first things. 
uh, th- those rights you talked about, g- God ordained. Uh, this this is the uh, this is the lab experiment. This is the proof text. Just again, you go to James. Not just what we say, but what we do. Uh, it we didn't just say we were going to create a machine. We created and it and it works successfully to lift up the lives in both uh, body and spirit. So I think I think that to be that it's that shining city on a hill writ large. What's the jurisdictional? I was pausing to yeah, figure how I want to ask this question. What's the jurisdictional methodology for doing what you just said? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, that's the trick. And here, it, that's, it, I don't think any of us do. That's it, this is we. This is and 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 you know, lost in the shuffle of what President Bush said about Trump and his supporters last week was his his repeating, his 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 reiterating a theme we heard throughout his presidency the human heart wants to be free no it doesn't guys it it does not wish to be free um it wishes to sin and then to dominate its fellow sinner and then not to be called out and held accountable for its own sin while it's holding everybody else accountable for theirs that's what the human heart wants guys the heart is deceitful above all things. None would choose him. There are none righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He was bruised for our what? Our unpleasantries? What was he bruised for? Sins. Our iniquities, our sins, yes. That's not the history of this species. It's not. That's a progressive view of history, guys. That is, but it's not the accurate one. It's maybe one we wished were true. What, if, what do most cultures do with their freedom when it's given to them? What do they do? Blow it. Blow it. Refuse it. We're in the process of doing As that We're now. in the process of doing now. Thank you. Very, we're the longest living experiment in, in human self-freedom and self-government in the history of this species. Almost 7,000 years of recorded yeah. accurate history. We had a good run. And it's 240 years out of over 7,000. 7, 240. That's nothing, guys. That's a nothing burger. And, and we're the veteran, we're the veteran move here, okay? We're the grizzled, we're the wily, grizzled, crafty veteran. I've always wanted to be called crafty, by the way. We're the Gaylord Perry here, guys. We're the Adam Vinatieri. We're the, t- yeah. And we're a blimp on history's radar. Why? A good friend of mine is a historian, and he wrote a book several years ago. Oh, we're not good, I shouldn't say good friend, let me know. A buddy of mine that I used to have on the show a ton that we get along great. But I don't want to make it sound like we like text all the time. All right? And he wrote a book a few years ago called From Change to Chains. And he just went through 7,000 years of human history and pointed out it didn't matter the religion. It didn't matter the custom. It didn't matter the language. It didn't matter the ideology. The, the polarity the gravitational pull of human nature 
is to concentrate power in the hands of a few or one elite that you believe will keep you safe. And this happens over and over and over again and invariably leads to tyranny more times than it leads to the security you're looking for. Julius Caesar says, yes, by all means, give me the keys to the city and I will drive the barbarians out. And then I will never give it back and you will worship my grandchildren as if they themselves are gods. And down goes your republic. That's usually how the story ends, gentlemen. Is that not how the story ends more times than not? Right. Yep. That's why we're the longest serving experiment in trying to buck the trend and tide of history. That's why the, the notion of the Constitution being written to limit and reign in the government, as opposed to defining what, what, is, what is allowed for the individual, that's why we took that approach. Begin by, by targeting the limitations of government, not of human freedom. And then even the founders knew that would have limitations. Human nature would eventually rise to the surface, which is why they gave us the ability to amend it, for example. Why they gave us a Second Amendment when the time came that we would have to defend ourselves against our own government as they had to at Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill all the way to Yorktown. But defining what this means to us, because a lot of people are going to read this and you know what they're going to say. That's why we have to take every refugee in the world in. There's a study out today that 44% of California, immig- California immigrants don't know English. They're going to applaud that. That's a sign of progress. They're going to say what George W. Bush says. Everybody wants to be free, so keep bringing freedom to the Middle East whether they want it or not. There's never been a free people in the entire, a truly free people in the entire history of Islam. But to be fair to Islam, and I won't say that very often, there haven't been too many histories of free people within the history of Christianity either. It's just I believe Christianity, when properly applied, can, can provide the only context that allows for it to happen. Because it's the one that says you as an individual have a relationship with God. God is not a res- through his son, Jesus Christ. God is not a respecter of persons. So the rich man, the poor man alike are held to the same standard. The ruler and the ruled alike are held to the same standard. And both will be in hell if they do not repent for their sins. Side by side, being tormented for all of eternity. But even that framework has been very difficult to apply. The, the, the centuries immediately following the Reformation were extremely bloody. Often it was Christians fighting other Christians. We went to the Crusades, we have a Reformation, and then we have an era where, whether it's Bloody Mary or it's this Protestant king, and if you don't want to go to the same church I do, then we persecute you. Whether they're Huguenots or whether they're Puritans, that's what we do. So even within, even within the framework that provides for human freedom as the Judeo-Christian moral ethic does, it has been extremely difficult for us to pull off.
I, so I, I just don't understand how with conviction George W. Bush can say that's a level of self-delusion, frankly. That's wish casting. He wants that to be true. And I understand why they want that to be true of the Muslim world. Because if it's not, the alternative is ugly. I get it. But there's a lot of things in this world we would prefer to be true where we create more ugliness by, by refusing to when, when we are confronted with the fact that they're not. That's why a better tact, to go back to the very beginning of this podcast, a better tact would have been, we are going to make ourselves economically independent from you, and so it's not our problem. Leave Israel alone, and frankly, we don't care. We don't care whether women drive in Saudi Arabia or not. We don't care. Not our problem, man. Leave us the hell alone. And we'll do the same. Just leave Israel alone. We don't care. But because we've gone with everybody wants to be free, we're picking winners and losers, we're choosing sides. Hell, now we don't even know where our Marines are even are deployed now. I mean, Lindsey Graham has tried to get our Marines deployed in shopping malls. He had no idea they were in Niger. Why? Well, it's because they would use this language to justify everything we just complained about. So we have to know what's the cutoff line then, Right? Absolutely. I mean, I have, I have, I have, quote unquote, libertarians argue with me that the Constitution applies to non-American citizens. Well, Steve, they're God-given rights. Well, they're God-given rights, but it's the U.S., which is weird to me. The same libertarians who don't want to go out and nation build are the same ones who want to allow enemy combatants who come into the country to blow us up treated with habeas corpus like american citizens why i mean do, you, do we are we the world's policemen or not you can't have it both ways can't tell me to stay out of foreign entanglements but then when they entangle themselves with us we treat them like they're americans it doesn't work both ways it's one or the other guys it's the u.s i don't i'm not sure what part of united states constitution people don't understand It's not the global constitution, guys. Here's how Skousen quotes a historian named John Fisk from defining what the founding generation of the country believed by the United States as a manifest destiny to be an example and a blessing to the entire human race. Here's how they defined it. They believed they were doing a wonderful, t- wonderful thing. They felt themselves to be instruments in accomplishing a kind of manifest destiny. Their exodus from Europe was that of a chosen people who were at length to lay the everlasting foundations of God's kingdom upon earth. This steadfast faith in an unseen ruler and guide was to them a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. It was of great moral value. It gave them clearness of purpose and concentration of strength and contributed towards making them like the children of Israel, a people of indestructible vitality and aggressive energy. John Adams wrote about the settlement of America, quote, I always considered the settlement of America with reverence and wonder as the opening of a grand scene and design in Providence for the illumination of the ignorant and the emancipation of the slavish part of mankind all over the earth. 
Alexander Hamilton said, quote, it has been frequently remarked that it seems to have been reserved to the people of this country by their conduct and example to decide the important question whether societies of men are really capable or not of establishing good government from reflection and choice or whether they are forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. John Jay Another founding father, quote, this country and this people seem to have been made for each other, and it appears as if it was the design of providence that an inheritance so proper and convenient for a hand of brethren untied or united to each other by the strongest ties should never be split into a number of unsocial, jealous and alien sovereignties. He actually wrote that in Federalist number two. James Madison, father of the Constitution. It is not the glory of the people of America that, whilst they have paid a decent regard to the opinions of former times and of other nations, they have not suffered a blind veneration for antiquity, for custom, or for names. To overrule the suggestion of their own good sense, the knowledge of their own situation, and the lessons of their own experience, to this manly spirit, posterity will be indebted for the possession in the world for the example of the numerous innovations displayed on the American theater in favor of private rights and private happiness. What they seem to be arguing and I think this is why Skousen uses the word example. There's a difference between being an inspiration and an instrument. Know where I'm going with this? I think so. There's a difference in saying, we did this. We're not any better than you. We just followed providence. You can too. Follow our example. Does this teach a man to fish? Yes. Then there's a difference between being that inspiration and then being the instrument. We will bring freedom and democracy to the Middle East. You won't. Actually. Because you can't. Because who did the founders, who did they credit with bringing freedom here? Providence. God. That's why they're an example. They're an inspiration, not an instrument. See, what I think we have done in America, and I want to get you guys' take on this. Throughout the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, there is a distinction they struggle to draw. And one of my favorite quotes is from Thomas Aquinas. Rarely affirm, seldom defy, often distinguish. I love that. Rarely affirm, don't take, just don't take a bunch of people's word for it. Seldom defy, don't go out of your way to be you know, a canoe, all right? Just argumentative for the purposes of just making arguments. But frequently distinguish, meaning human nature is more complicated than box A or box B. We draw distinctions. We require them. The Jews struggle throughout their history with a distinction. 
And we see this play right up until the right up at the early stages of the New Testament. You see it when the Jewish leaders come to John the Baptist. And they say, well, we are the sons of Abraham. And John the Baptist looks at these rocks weathered by water. People have urinated on them. Animals defecated on them. And he looks at them and he says, God could turn these stones into sons of Abraham if he wanted to. It's not about you. Abraham's not the hero. Who's the hero of the story? God. God is. We're sons of Jacob, so... Who the hell would Jake? Who the hell would care what, who Jacob is without who? God. God. He's just a dude named Jacob. He's a dude his mom and dad named Schemer, without God. That's what they named him, Schemer. And I get why we name our kids Abraham, David. You know, I get that because it would be really presumptuous for a bunch of us to name our kids God. I get that. Okay, I understand. But. The NFL gives out its man of the year, meaning its best human being of the year award, in whose name? Walter Payton. We found out after he passed away, he almost had like a girlfriend in every port. Human beings are complicated. All three of us here are complicated. All of you listening to me are complicated. Everybody on both ends of this conversation have parts about themselves they would like to keep hidden that they don't like. That's why we have to constantly remember we're not the hero of the story. We need the attitude of what I saw Chris Tomlin, the contemporary Christian performer, do at a concert of his I was at several years ago. And he closed with what I think is his best song, famous one. And they keep repeating the chorus, and everybody in the arena is singing along to the chorus. And at that moment, him and his band take their instruments off, lay them down on the floor of the stage, turn off the lights, and walk away. They take no applause, no curtain call, no encore, because they're driving the point home. Only Jesus is famous. When Zoe was little and she used to see her dad on TV, she used to think that daddy was famous and therefore knew everybody. Like two years in a row, she asked me if I could get her Selena Gomez in a box for Christmas, okay? Um, And I used to have to tell Zoe all the time when she was little, only Jesus is famous. Not about us. And as you get older, you're going to learn things about your dad. Right now, you think, I walk on water. You are going to learn soon. I don't. I have feet of clay like everybody else. So prepare yourself for that now. I'm not the hero of the story. I could be a hero of the story, but I'm, not, I'm never going to be the hero of the story. I'm going to let you down because I'm Steve. I'm not God. The Jews struggled with this distinction. And the distinction is this. Are we special because we were chosen? Or were we chosen because we are special? And I think how you answer that question is going to go a long way in determining when a guy from Nazareth shows up who's a maybe okay carpenter and his mom and dad's marriage doesn't necessarily line up with the age of his birth, if you get the whole nine-month period I'm alluding to here. And he shows up and he starts doing miraculous stuff, and you're like, it can't be him. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Can't be him. This isn't the guy that, this isn't the guy that's you know, going to you know, kick the Romans out and restore the throne of David. It can't be him. This is not what we had envisioned. 
And I think we are struggling with this as Americans. Are we exceptional because we're Americans? Or are we Americans because we're exceptional? Which is it? Which comes first? Did we do this right? Did we crack the code of human history? And God said, I've just been waiting for someone Gnostically to figure this out. I, I had this secret formula over here, this secret sauce of how you guys could govern yourselves and all your sinfulness. That even though I cared so much about you, I put myself in human form. I went to the bathroom like you guys do. I slept like you guys do. I hungered like you guys do. I thirsted like you guys do. I bled like you do. I died like you do. I had to be nursed like you have to be. I had to be potty trained like you were. I put myself through all of that because I so desired to know you and to be known by you. That I still left this secret part over here, despite everything I put myself through during that process. I left this secret formula over here, and I was just waiting for some, I was essentially waiting for the, for the 49ers, the prospectors, the wildcatters of history to show up, crack the code, so then I could say, yes, now you may proceed, your, proceed in earthly liberty and freedom. Is that what happened? Or did God <clears throat> decide to take some guys, some of whom... might have been Harvey Weinstein's. Some of them had some really crazy theological ideas. Some of them didn't want any theological ideas at all. Some of them were great men of the faith. In other words, they were a lot like us. Just with bigger words. And funky wigs. And did he say, you know what? Because you earnestly are willing to seek a truth higher than you. Providence will bless your efforts in spite of your fakeness and your fallacies in other areas. In spite of the fact that I know you really don't mean all men are created equal because if they have a certain colored face, most of you don't think that. But see, it's not about you. It's about the freedom that will come even from your own fallacies. It'll, about, it'll be about the freedom that will come from what you're attempting to do, even as imperfect of vessels as you are. So I will bless it. I will choose you to be an example. Because men, I'm telling you, Todd and Aaron, there's a big difference in how you answer that question. One side of that equation, when Jeremiah shows up and starts warning you, that's not how this works, guys. That's not how any of this works. And if we don't come correct real quick, like you're going to find out how far down the rabbit hole or the cistern, in my case, really goes, okay? And your response to that is, I got a God bless America. God, you know, we're doing Israelite, except we're, it's Israelite exceptionalism. And we got the temple. and We would never, we're not, we're not going to be conquered. You put your faith in your nationalistic traditions and relics and your trophies and not in the God whom your rights really come from. I think, I think that is the question of the moment in America right now. Why are we exceptional? And we have attempted to pattern ourselves after the children of Israel. Some of us have taken it too far and to pretend almost as if we are a, uh, a reiteration of that and we're not. 
We're not another Israel. There's only one Israel. But just as the Jews constantly struggled with, are we special so we were chosen, or because we were chosen, are we special? We are struggling with the same thing. Is what makes is 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 we is 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 it we are exceptional, therefore we're Americans. Or we're Americans, therefore we're exceptional. I think that's the question on the table we are struggling to answer as a people. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? The older I get, the less attached I am uh, to America, the land between, uh, you know, sea to shining sea. And the more attached I am uh, to America, the idea. And that's why, uh, to me, anyway, unless this is some sort of double, triple trick question, um, the, the best thing that we can hope for is that we are exceptional, therefore we are Americans. Because the other one, the other option is just nationalistic pride. I mean, there's just nothing nothing that separates us from the ash heap or the great civilizations of history. We're just another one, in my view. We have to get back to America, the idea. And this is what we have been talking about all these weeks, all these months on Americanism 101. What is the idea of America? It's not just these 50 states. It's not just this land. It's not just um, the ideas, the th- great things we've done, the great things we've invent- I- invented. What's the really what's what's the basis of America? And people, like you said, are struggling with that. I learned a lot about myself in terms of applying or not applying the sort of thinking you're talking about, Steve, through the uh, war in Iraq. And I think that issue applies directly to this question. As did I. As did a lot of us. I, and I've said this on this show, you talked about earlier about your being meek isn't your default setting. You know, sitting back behind big oceans and just saying, you know, you guys are on your own, that's not my default setting. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not naive, but, you know, I want bad guys to go down. And the and there's a there's an undeniable Christian element about not only loving your neighbor but the, the Lord himself is what just uh, you know if if loving your friend is the only love you got what good is there in that you need to love your enemy by extent just you need to stretch that love uh further than your own safety net. But I didn't really ask my, okay are, are the people wanting to do the help? Is this truly a Christian nation anymore? Mm. So can can it follow through on that gospel message, even if it's there in some partial or altered part? Can, is that sustainable? I think it's clear the answer is no. And on the other end, I I I did I, I was under no uh, delusions about whether these were uh, an Islamic people, but I truly did not count the cost of what living. Living in a culture, generation after generation after gen- that is Islam. Even if th- what is true Islam had had only kind of been bursting forth in you know spasms and fits. Mm-hmm. But I did I did not do my due diligence on this. What once unfettered, once not under the hand of a uh, secular despot. What would that look like? So I just didn't I didn't ask myself fundamental questions. And I'm as I'm as guilty as anyone for everything um, that is to come since then. 
as I said to my worldview class kids yesterday, it's not failing that is the failure. It's not being wrong. It, it's not having a moral breakdown. We are all going to do this. The, the question becomes when we are confronted with, the, the, the challenge is not, this is, how is David a man after, let me start here. How is David a man after God's own heart? Have you ever really chronicled this dude's life? He's a terrible person, guys. Terrible. A lot. Terrible. I'm going to go coach my kids, you know, youth football league that's sponsored from a local church here in town. Do you know how many kids are going to be named? How many times a name David's going to be shouted tonight, guys? A ton. Okay. How many kids are named Samson? I mean... This is a guy whose nickname was Canaanite Whoremonger, all right? And we name our kids after this guy. Why? Because how did he finish the race? How did Samson finish his race? He tears down the pillars up to the demon Dagon and plunges the fish demon's face down in the dirt as it collapses on all his idolatrous worshipers. The question is not, are you failing now? This is why David's a man after God's own heart. When the word of God arrives, like with Nathan the prophet, David responds. If David is truly wants to be forgiven, he is forgiven seven times 70, which means infinitely. But how many times is David forgiven when he doesn't want to be forgiven, guys? None. None. Same will go for us. How many times will we be forgiven when we want to be forgiven? Infinitely. How many times will we be forgiven when we don't? Never. That's the line. That's the line. It's not moral elitism. Now, I'm not arguing for antinomianism for those of you that are in theological circles. I'm not saying let's just go out and dispense cheap grace. What I'm saying, though, is the challenge for the human race is not is not how we behave before the word of God reminds us of what is right and what is wrong, but how we behave afterwards. Josiah is considered one of the great kings in all of Judaism. One of the few who went to the high places and tore down the Asherah poles. But he was king before Hilkiah the priest came to him one day and brought him the scroll of the law and said, you know, we haven't been doing what God says. What came first, the revival or Josiah's kingdom? Josiah's kingdom was there, which meant for a time, Josiah was not a good king. But why do we name our kids Josiah? How can we name our kids Josiah, not Manasseh? Well, um, because Manasseh's reign ends with him sawing the prophet Isaiah in half when the word of God shows up. Josiah's reign ends with Hilkiah, the priest comes to him and says, dude, you need to see this. And he leads a, he leads a revival. It's about the end of the story, guys. That's what it's about. That's why Paul says, finish the race. Finish the race. Does he say, run a perfect race all the way to the end? Is anybody able to run a perfect race? Paul himself said, man, every, I'm struggling with this thorn in my flesh. Why, and you're doing all these great things through me. And yet I know in the back of my mind, I want to do whatever the blank is. We don't know what it is. How He can't reconcile it. 
He knows that if left on his own, he would walk away and go to this sin that he wants. And yet God is still doing this amazing thing through him. And God basically says to him, it's the fact that you're aware of your weakness. That's why I can do those great things. Because in your weakness, I am made strong. It's when you tell me, I got this. I don't need you from here. I can take it from here. That's what I can't abide, God says. I can cover all your weaknesses. I can't cover any of your self-righteousness. We have become an extremely self-righteous people. And the idea of so many Christian kids misquoting Jeremiah 29, 11 at their, at their graduation parties is such a metaphor, I don't know what is. Because what's the whole story of the book of Jeremiah? A people that will not repent because they're too proud. They will not accept God's justice as grace, but rebel against it. And so they get Nebuchadnezzar's justice instead. And it's vile. And now we have Christian leaders comparing the current president to the same guy that was the instrument. Was Nebuchadnezzar an instrument or an inspiration, guys? He was an instrument. And a blunt and bloody one at that. We're not owed anything by being Americans. Nothing. This whole thing has been a house of cards from the first generation. That's why, they've, that's why they said, you're, that was the old Reagan axiom, you're one generation away. It's, it's always been like this. Just some generations, the cards are flimsier than others. Half the guys that wrote those, well, maybe not half, but too many of the men who wrote those flowery words we quote often went home to their slaves, guys. And wouldn't educate their own daughters because they thought they were second-class citizens because of their genitals. Martin Luther King may be the most respected man of the 20th century. We're pretty sure he was a womanizer. We need to remember who the real hero is here. It's not us. And that's what we have forgotten. And now, and now, and you look at the way we do this in politics, we will double, triple, quadruple, quintuple down on our political calculations and compromises, believing that, 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 that that's what God wants us to do. When it's never worked like that ever before, these are Cain-like offerings. I will give God the worship from me he desires, or I, that, that I, I'm willing to give him, not what he desires. I've talked before about I've been in so many meetings with Christian leaders. And, and the pattern is always the same. It starts out with everybody goes around the room. Who are you? And what do you do? And let's, let's just be honest. It's a pissing contest. We're measuring. That's what we're doing out here. And, it's, and, if, and if, if, if James Dobson's in the room, everybody knows he's got the biggest network, so we defer to him. And I don't mean that to say anything against James Dobbs. I'm just pointing out, I've seen this. Whoever's got the biggest reach, that must be who's in charge. We judge from the outside. And then we get done. I was in a meeting once where I was asked to read the scripture verse. And it was David versus Goliath. And the whole point of this meeting was, could we rally be, this was back in the 2012 cycle. Could we rally behind one candidate to stop Mitt Romney from being the nominee? 
And so they asked me to read the scripture versus the radio guy. And it was David versus Goliath. And, we've, and, and the metaphor here was, of course, the establishment in Fox News is, is Goliath. You know, can we be David? After I got done, we then ran around the room. Everybody did pull out their yards, pulled out, pulled out the, the, their, their rulers, and we did our measuring contest. And then we, we put Rick Santorum and Michelle Bachman and Newt Gingrich and all these people up on a board. How much money have they raised? What do they have? Now, I think some of that's important. That was the entire conversation for the next 90 minutes. Who was the most likely to be victorious? I didn't speak again until 90 minutes later, and I said, guys, remember the scripture verse y'all just had me read? Maybe, I don't know what the ratio is between our, our earthly analysis and providential emulation, but it probably ought to be better than 100 to zero. Can we try 90-10, 80-20? I'm not even saying it needs to be 50-50. I'm the data guy here. I'm the one you guys usually ask for the data. That's what I do. But don't ask me to read David versus Goliath and then just sit down and go 538 blog. What the hell was the point of reading the scripture verse then we just did? We didn't even need to do Let's not do this dog and pony show. Because here's how it always ends too. We come up with the plan we think is right. We ask who we, who we view externally to be the holiest person in the room to then give a prayer. Asking God to bless our our Cain-like offering. It is not faith with works. It is works with faith. We do the work we think is right. And then because we're so confident in our altruistic motivations and intentions, God will bless it. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. What I just described to you is what led to the collapse of the Jewish people every time they faced a diaspora. Every time they faced a, a divine retribution. We are doing it now. We're emulating it. We can be an inspiration to the world, not because we're better than you, but because we recognize we're not and we follow the God who is. What we cannot be is an instrument to the freedom in the world. We cannot plug and play our democracy, switch it to Arabic on Google Translator, and send it to freaking Iraq. We can't do that. Because we're not a system. We're a creed. And they don't believe our creeds. They reject them. Hell, when they conquered the Temple Mount, they carved into the, into the roof, which you and I would probably not be allowed in to see today as Christians, certainly not carrying a Bible, would they let us in there? They carved into the Temple Mount the following words, God has no son. There is no relationship with God for the Muslim. He doesn't have an individual relationship. He doesn't cry out, Abba, Father. But you know, other than that, you're right. They can just totally emulate what we've done over here. And the reason we're making this mistake is we're abandoning who we are. While at the same time, trying to export what we think we are to the rest of the world. That's that, exactly my point. That exactly. is, there's cutting your nose off to spite your face. And then there's just smiting yourself at the neck. And talking to your own severed bloody head afterwards. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. Final thoughts, Todd and Aaron. Well, you made my point for me there uh, better than I did. Um, that's where I was trying to get at with this Iraq thing. You can't be out there lecturing people while you're uh, selling out yourself uh, 
the hard look. And I don't blame George Bush for being wrong about this 15 years ago. No. I blame him for continuing to buy and right. selling this when we ha- when clearly we know what he is saying. Did he of all people, he lost his presidency over this. And yet he still wants to go out there. It's like watching leftists defend a welfare state. We know all the data is in. It cannot work. It will not work and yet they defend it nonetheless. That's what he's doing. Yes. But God is merciful in how he feeds us our mistakes. Uh, until we vomit that back up again and are willing to uh, consider solid food once again. And he would uh, like to do it otherwise. He loves us, but we won't have it any other way. That has been shown generation after generation, culture after culture, Christian or not. That's the one thing that doesn't go away even when we are Christians. Uh, as Steve just said, we, we, we still like garbage. Uh, now we just have the uh, the antidote uh, to that garbage. But there is never a time in human history when we are finished as a product. We must get up every morning and start again with the kind of thinking that Steve is talking about. What are my first things? And am I keeping that real in my life? Aaron. Yep. Uh, Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Uh, the same thing can be said for any nation, any country. I love that line, Todd. Um, God keeps feeding us our sin, keep, keeps feeding us, well, I should say keeps uh, letting us feed on our sin and our mistakes until we vomit them back up. At the end of the day, um, God is going to get the glory, uh, whether or not we come back to him. The old tagline on the show, we're not saying we're on God's side, we're just trying, uh, or we're not saying uh, God's on our side, we're just trying to get on his. That's that's the right attitude to have. And that, again, comes back to revival, starting with yourself, and then your community, and then the con- country. Not for the purpose of making America great again, but for the m- purpose of making God great again not that he ever wasn't but we certainly act a different way that's going to do it for today's free podcast thanks for joining us here on iheart itunes and stitcher please subscribe give us a positive review if you like us if you don't don't lie just don't say anything because then it would hurt our feelings crtv.com promo code dace if you want to catch today's television show as well we'll be back at it again tomorrow until then john three seventeen. is Steve Dace. I like it, you.